Amen. Thank you, worship team. So as I promised, um, the most transformational series on Leviticus you've ever had. Um, starting with the question, why do we just call that an offering? What is that? Wasn't that like paying our dues? or is, What do you call it? An offering. Um, association fees. Yeah, maybe. Uh, what, what is that? What do we just do? And why do we do that? Um, so we said this year, 2019, is a year of living justice. And we talked about how we want to be living just and right and how Abraham was called to live just and right and to teach his children to walk in the way of Yahweh and do as God does, do just what is just and right as God does. So that's great, but what happens when we don't? We haven't asked that question. So what happens when we don't is it gets in the headlines. Or we get on Facebook and go, I can't believe those people! Right? We, uh, or we, we break up relationships. There's all kinds of things that happen because a lot of times we don't live just and righteous. And we get upset and angry about the injustice that's done to us. We're, we're, we're a little easier to overlook the injustice we do to others. But uh, when people do it to us or to somebody we love, we get really angry and upset, and, and our world is messed up because the truth is we don't often live just and right. So what do we do when that happens? Um, well, one of the things that happens is death. The unjust should die. And we, we don't think that when it's something we did, but when somebody else does it, we get upset. I mean, Bin Laden... Deserves to die. Saddam Hussein, kill him. When somebody rapes somebody, when, when things bad happen, when Philando Castile gets shot and he gets, somebody gets let off from that, we, we get upset when things happen and nothing results. We feel like people, something should happen. And, and the truth is that in Scripture, the, the penalty for murder was that person should be killed. The penalty for adultery was that person should be killed. And there were other penalties for things that, that happened because it's not okay to just let things go. Okay, so, so one of the ways that we do deal with things is we sort of minimize it. We say, well, I wasn't so bad. Especially if it happened, if, if something one of our people did to somebody else. And we're like, well, it wasn't that bad. Or if I did it, you know, you could just, look, you know, forgive me. Get, get, get over it. Right? But when it happens to us, sometimes it's harder to let go. And there is something in there that we don't easily let it go. Um, back as far as Noah, it said, when God gives life, and in the life is in the blood, and when the blood is shed by someone, that person's life, blood should be shed by the other people to keep things just. Um, there's also distance. The world is too filthy for God to live here. Um, it's impure. This is kind of a medical model. There's too many germs out there for um, a pure God to, to uh, be dealing with. And we know, remember what happened in the Garden of Eden when, when there was 
initially there was all this beauty and luscious food and people were naked and they had no shame and, and then they rebelled against God and what did they want to do? They, they wanted to get distance from God. They ran away and hid. They tried to cover themselves. They knew God had said, if you do this, you will die. You will not be able to eat from the tree of life. And then God said, you know what? You can't be in this garden anymore. You're going to have to get away from my presence. Because his presence, his holy presence is dangerous if you are filthy and unclean. And so there was distance. Um, and then there's a debt owed to others and to God. If you do something, you, you need to pay that back somehow. And we really feel that when somebody steals something, when, when people, um, we, we think you should pay that back. You know, when I, when I run into your car, I should, I should pay to fix your car, right? Um, that's only fair. That's only just. And so when something happens, we feel like there's a debt that needs to be paid back, some reparation, some restoration that should happen. So how do we get that taken care of? So how do we keep good relationships? Um, so let me just ask you a question. When have you needed to be forgiven or to forgive? And how did it happen? Um, I'll be honest, even this week, I, you know, it's okay to, you know, people who are a long ways away, you can just ignore them. But the people you live with, it's harder, right? Kids, your parents kind of, you know, they get in the way or you get in their way or things get, don't go so good, right? You got, it's hard to live with that, isn't it? And uh, husbands and wives or roommates or whoever you live with, it's hard. So, you know, there was a little bit of stuff between Jan and I had to figure out how to forgive her and how to be forgiven and how to get over some stuff and how to forgive myself and get forgiveness um, this week because, um, and, and I, I didn't do everything right the way I wanted to and I felt bad about it. What do we do with the, the guilt, the shame, the barrier in the relationships between us? How do we handle that? Um, now, I'm not going to have you turn to the person next to you and share that because, that, you know, you might not want to talk about that. But um, I want you to think about the question for a minute. When have you needed to be forgiven? And when have you felt that, that weight, that guilt, shame? And, you know, and, and the world is full of, and full of stories. Remember Macbeth? walking sleepless nights and saying, oh, blood, come out, blood, come out. She can't get this blood out of her hands from, from uh, killing somebody, right? And there's another story about crime and punishment, right? The guy, nobody knows what happened to him with the crime, but he just feels like it's everywhere and everybody's looking at him, seeing what he's done. We, we have this guilt that tears us apart inside and we try to put it away by saying, oh, it's not that bad or trying to, you know, make some kind of amends or, uh, you know, buy some flowers. and It's not that easy, is it, to forgive others or to be forgiven and know you're forgiven and to receive forgiveness. Um, and then what, how do you say thanks? I mean, really, when you're in a relationship with somebody, how do you really say thanks so they know that you really want to say thanks, you really want to give your life to them? How, do, how does that work?
Um, so those are some of the questions, and we're going to answer them by Leviticus. Leviticus 1 to 7 is about sacrifices or offerings. So we call these offerings that we give because that's one of the things that happened. It's sacrifices are what are given. Now, this is a word that we use a lot. Maybe not offering so much, but sacrifice. We talk about ultimate sacrifice. We talk about there's all kinds of lyrics and words and talking about making a sacrifice. What, what is a sacrifice? Um, and cultures all over the world have some kind of sacrifices for some kind of reasons. But why were there sacrifices in the Old Testament? And what were they like and why? What were they and why did they happen? So we're looking at Leviticus 1 to 7, and we're not going to read the whole thing right now. I hope you already have read it, or you're going to go home and read it, because uh, this, is what we're, this is what we're studying. We, I hope you're going to read Leviticus 1 to 7, and I'm, I'm going to help you f- figure out what all that detail is about. Um, so let's back up a little bit in our, in our story We've been talking about some other things for a little bit. Let's back up a little bit in our story and catch up. Remember when God delivered Israel out of Egypt. He showed his power and his provision. He led them out, delivered them with this mighty hand of justice, brought them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, they were invited into a relationship. God invited them back into relationship with him. And he said, although the whole earth is mine, you will be a special people, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Holy meaning different from other ethnic groups, different from other nations, different from other people. And a kingdom of priests, so when you are holy and different and you live in that just life, you can relate to God and you can represent all the other nations to God and you can represent what God is like to all the other nations. And you can bless, you can be blessed by God and bless all the other ethnic groups and all the other nations and all of their unjust relationships and how their relationships are all messed up, their, their vertical relationships with God and the relationships between people and the relationships with creation are all messed up. You can show them how God is if you're holy and different. And Leviticus The key verse in Leviticus is, be holy as I am holy. Be holy, be different like God is different. So we talked about those different relationships and how God at Mount Sinai, when they got there, so they, to back up to this, the Israelites said, yes, I do. We will be your special holy people. And they had a wedding ceremony at Mount Sinai. And they agreed to this covenant that they were going to do, they were going to be God's people. They were going to belong to him and he was going to be their God. After this gracious welcome of God to have them as his people, his bride, he gives them some instructions. So the whole Torah, the whole first five books of the Bible is the Torah. It means instruction. Sometimes call it law, but that's not a good word. It's a story. It's a story that's instructive, that includes lots of different things. And at Mount Sinai, he gave the, we were calling it 10 words of the Constitution of Israel. And he told them how they could live in a just relationship with God. Have no other gods, no idols, 
don't take my name in vain, how they could live in other in just relationship with other people, like don't commit adultery and don't covet and, and don't steal, don't lie, and in relationship with the earth as well, like Sabbath and Sabbath rest. So he gave them this illustration, and then he went on and showed them how he was going to now be present among his people. He came off of Mount Sinai to move into the neighborhood, the Creator. And we talked about the stars and how there's all these billions of explosions, of nuclear explosions all over the vastness of the universe that we get to see. And that Creator of all that is moving into the neighborhood. But we said it's dangerous to have a holy God, a nuclear reaction in the neighborhood. And there needs to be some kind of a system to keep things powerful but safe because of God's holiness among an unholy people. So God set up this special tabernacle, this house of his, this tent that he was going to move into the tents among everybody else. And we talked about what was in that tent. We talked about what was there. Um, and I want you to pay special attention to... so. This is a, an actual live model in Israel, um, but so there aren't any tents now, but uh, this was the outer courtyards. The Israelites were encamped around it. They would come in the entrance over here, and this was the main place that they spent their time. They didn't go into the holy place or the holy of holies like the priests did. Their worship was out here. And what happened? What did their worship look like? Did they have a good band? Did the band have brass or guitars or drums? What, what, what did they have? What happened when they came to worship at the tabernacle? And um, the main thing that happened was sacrifice. This was a bloody place. People were bringing stuff and slaughtering animals and, and bringing grain and doing other stuff all the time, and it was burning up on that altar. And the smell of this burning stuff, and the, the, it was definitely a five senses experience um, to be worshiping in the tabernacle. Um, so they would, but let's, let's back up a little bit to, to why again. Why did they need to be giving all these sacrifices? First of all, remember, at the center of the story of the building of the tabernacle is the story of Moses is on, the, is on the mountain getting the instructions for how to build God's house so he can move into the neighborhood and be holy. They can be this holy people. And they are breaking the first commandments while he's doing that, building a golden calf and worshiping it as the God who brought you out of Egypt. And God gets so angry, the presence of God is ready to wipe them out. And there's this intercession that happens so that, and God says, fine. And, and Moses says, no, we, we need your presence. We're not going on without you, but don't wipe us out. So how does that work? Because in the Bible, it often portrays that kind of rebellion as adultery. How does it work in a relationship when one person has committed adultery, when they've had, you know, we put nice words on it, an affair, a, another girlfriend, another boyfriend, a, a lover on the side. In the world, it sounds all like that's no big deal, right? That's one way we deal with it. Oh, no big deal. Everybody, you know, we're 
It's a big deal when it's your marriage. And how do you get over that? How do you forgive that? How does God get over the fact that he's just welcomed them and made this covenant with them, and the first thing they do is go off and worship some other idol who didn't bring them out of Egypt, who didn't do all that he did to deliver them? How does God deal with that? Where do they get forgiveness for that atrocity? The first thing, I mean, some people die. That's, that's part of what happens when, when they rebel against God is people, people die, but, when, but they should have all been wiped out. How does this holy God move into the neighborhood with an adulterous people, an adulterous wife? That's the question, and that's part of what, that's one of the main things that happens on this altar. So, I want you to think about yourself as an Israelite. Think about the fact that you, uh, let me ask something. Can you picture this thing of slaughtering an animal? How many of you have ever slaughtered an animal? Not very many of you. A few. Um, how many of you have slaughtered a Chicken or a goat or a, uh, some of the farm kids, yep. Some of the Africans, yep. Um, but most of us, we just go to the grocery store and we buy it frozen, shrink-wrapped, and uh, very nice and clean, right? And most of us, it doesn't cost us that much of our wages. And we actually get to eat meat on a fairly regular basis. In Tanzania, they love cows and goats and other chickens and stuff, but they very rarely had meat. They usually they were they were pretty most most people in Tanzania where we lived were were living off of what they could dig with a hand hoe, maybe with a cow, um, and so they didn't get a lot of chances to eat meat. Maybe once a month. So it was a big deal if they got to have chicken. And it was way a big deal, usually some kind of a celebration if they got to have beef, even though there was a lot of beef around. So you got to think about this in terms of you've been chasing this cow around for years. It's finally big enough for you to finally have some meat. And now you're going to go bring it there and burn it up? Really? For us, I think it's, it's better like, you know, I think I'm going to give God my car. That'd be a better equivalent. Because it was expensive for them. It was not something easy. Like, you know, I, I, I need to give God my, my car. That's something closer. My, my, um, okay, so you haven't slaughtered him. How many have you been to the state fair? Okay. Or a farm. You've seen some animals, right? So um, my niece, my nieces, um, Vanessa and Marie Claire, um, they brought, they were in 4-H and they, they uh, out in Matamidae, they have this hobby farm. And so they raised, Marie Claire is still in elementary school, right? Um, she, she raised a couple of cows, well, they're bulls actually, calves. They were, they were bulls, but they became steers. And they, she raised these from, and so every, you know, she had to do chores, Every morning and every night. She didn't have to spend the time, you know, wandering around with them all day like 
what happened in Tanzania. But every morning, every night, she had to go do chores, had to feed these animals, had to take care of them, had to keep, protect them, and uh, get them, you know, so they were ready to go to the fair, and eventually they went to the state fair. Her sister had some sheep that she was doing the same thing for, so chores every morning, every night for a kid, so that, so that um, but then when it came to what are we going to do with these now adult steers, she didn't want to think about that. I said, so you're going to eat them? She said, nope. Because um, she didn't want to have to actually slaughter these cows that she had raised from when they were calves, right? So they just kind of sold them and, and let somebody else butcher them. They weren't going to eat them themselves even. That wasn't okay with her. But this is a big investment and an emotional investment. It's expensive, emotional connection with this, and to give that cow. So what happens in the service with, with one of these animals. The, the worshiper would come and, and, and bring this animal that they'd raised from, from very young, and then they would put their hands on the head of this animal, and they would confess what they had done wrong. They would confess their sins and the injustice and the unrighteousness that they'd done, and they would put it on this animal, and then they would get a knife out and slaughter that animal. And then the priest would take that animal, and that different things happened with different... But the blood, it's very important that the blood was dumped on the sides of the altar, sprinkled in certain places. With a burnt offering, they burnt the whole animal on the altar. Other ones, they burnt part of it on the altar, and the priests ate part of it. Um, so we'll look at some of those different ones. But uh, the life was in the blood. So it was important not to, like other places, drink the blood to get the life. Other, other pagan cultures did that. Or to even eat, they had to drain the blood out of the animal so even the meat didn't have blood in it. Um, so the worshiper and the priest each had a part, and then God had a part. That if they did all of this, he said, they would be forgiven. He would cover their sin. And their injustice. But Hebrews says there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. It wasn't like, um, please forgive me, God. Like, that was all there was to it. Whoops, sorry. I mean, that doesn't work in adultery usually, does it? Oops, sorry, I, I didn't mean that. I, well, I mean, I did, I kind of, but, you know, I, I won't do it again. Does that work with adultery? Not really. <laughs> Not quite enough, is it? Um, does it work with other major injustices that we have? Oh, shot him. Sorry. Didn't mean to. Um, well, I did mean to, but I, you know, I changed my mind. Um, doesn't work quite like that, does it? So in Leviticus 1 to 5, it lays out the details of how they're going to do this. So, for example, Leviticus 1, verse 4, is talking about the burnt offering. It says, Lay your hand on the animal's head, and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him, restoring you to right relationship, right justice with God. So, uh, let's back up a little bit. If the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the herd, it must be a male with no defects. It had to be perfect. It had to be precious. No giving away your car that had, had a dent in it. 
No, no, no. It had to be the new car. It had to be perfect. Bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so you, so you may be accepted by Yahweh. Lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. Then slaughter the young bull in Yahweh's presence and Aaron's son, the priest, will present the animal's blood by splattering it against all sides of the altar that stands at the entrance to the tabernacle. Then skin the animal and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron the priest will build a wood fire on the altar. They will arrange the pieces of the offering, including the head and the fat, on the wood burning on the altar. So in this case, um, but the internal organs and the legs must be first washed with water. So nothing impure. You have to, so the priests are staying pure. You have to make sure you wash all the, all the guts and all the... Um, other dirty stuff off of this, and then bring it. Then the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. So it's a pleasing, the whole thing gets burned up as a pleasing smell for Yahweh. To, um, so, back to, so these are three of these, there's five sacrifices mentioned, Verses chapter 6 and 7 give more specific instructions, especially for the priests. So 1 to 5 are basically five offerings, and they give instructions for us as worshipers, what do we have to do? And it's very specific. It has to be done exactly right, so that you, it's, a, it's an important thing. Do it the right way, and then 6 and 7 tells the priest the right way. I mean, it, it, there's a little overlap here, but um, basically that's, that's what's happened. Five different offerings, three of them, are for atonement. What does atonement mean? Well, atonement basically means covering. It's about covering your sin, covering over what you've done wrong. Some easy way to remember is it's about at-one-ment. It makes us at one again with God because it covers over the sin that has kept us away from God. And it's about justification. That's one of those big words, right? that you hit in Scripture and you're like, whatever, justification. What does justification mean? It means being just as if I've never sinned is the one, that's, that's cute, works, puts us back as if we've never sinned, forgives us, but it really means restoring justice in my relationship with God. Justification means to make me just, make me right with God, as it said here, except its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. So, let's look at those sacrifices, those three sacrifices. But what happens when we don't? Well, there is sacrifice for death. The unjust should die. So this offering, this burnt offering, was a ransom. It was in the place of the one who should have died. God graciously said, okay, you should die, but you can replace your blood with animal blood. You can give all of the animal instead of all of your life and your death. So it was a ransom in place of the what was due, what was just, was for the sinner to, to die. So this was, um, it was a voluntary act of worship. It was atonement for unintentional sin in general expression of devotion and commitment and complete surrender to God, giving all to God. So it was a ransom. So what happens when we don't? 
Well, there's distance. And the world becomes too filthy for God to live here. So how is God going to live even in the tabernacle if all this filth is happening? So there is another sacrifice for purification. It was we call it the sin offering. That's the fourth one mentioned in chapter 4 of, this, of the book. Um, it's purifying all that sin. And, the, and what happens is that the blood from the, from the offering is taken and sprinkled on the tabernacle to purify, to cleanse the tabernacle from the defilement of the injustice. Now we know that there's, we, we use, okay, keep in mind, we're trying to get in the minds of a different culture in a very different time. But we know that th things are messed up. Things are impure, right? We just don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to wash things clean in our nation and our people to make things clean again. But this was the way to wash it clean and so that God could dwell again in the temple. So there were special ones for leaders, for priests, for ordinary people to purify, especially the temple, so that God could be there. And then there's a debt that's owed to others and to God. And so what's called a guilt offering in many scripture, in many uh, Bibles, or a restoration or, or a reparation offering, this is... Um, when somebody does something that's wrong, it says maybe you, um, for example, you unintentionally did something that caused defilement. You, you have to make restitution not only to the person, but also to God. So, for example, you, you did a vow and you didn't keep it. Or you, you um, in, in verse, in chapter 5, it talks about when you sin in one of these ways, you have to pay back the person who you sinned against plus 20%. And then you also have to deal with the fact that this has created injustice between you and God, not just between you and this other person. Um, and so in the New Testament, you'll remember that Jesus says, when you come to the altar to, to offer your sacrifice, if you remember you have something against someone, he says, leave your sacrifice, tie up your goat, tie it, whatever, and go make things right with that other person, pay him back, do whatever is necessary, then come back and give your offering. Because it doesn't do enough to say, um, God, please forgive me, and not make it right with the other person that you messed up. Remember Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had, he'd been cheating on his taxes. I mean, it was his taxes. He was collecting the taxes but he had been overcharging. And he said, I'm going to give back four times as much to anybody that I overcharged. And I'm going to give half my belongings away. And then Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. It, was, it wasn't enough for Zacchaeus to say, oh, please forgive me. He had to make things right with all the people that he had cheated. And then the forgiveness was there as well. Um, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we talked about that last week, we say, pray, Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven those who have debts against us. So there's a forgiving of others' debts, literal, and debts, the, the people who, who we are, need to forgive. Um, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. But what's interesting is that it's not only when I mess up with somebody else, I also mess up with God. So if there's adultery... 
in my marriage, I need to make it right with my wife. I also need to make it right with God because we made a covenant that I was going to be faithful. So I can't just make it right with her. I also have to make it right with God. So there was a, sa <coughs> a sacrifice <coughs> to restore to God and to the other person who was wrong. <coughs> who was wrong. Um, you following that? Three different sacrifices, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering is how they're usually talked about. <clears throat> they're for ransom, because I, I should die for my sin. They're for purification to allow me close to God's presence and allow God's presence with us again. Now, we, we did our worship this morning. We talked about welcoming God's presence, right? And sometimes we talk about entering into the Holy of Holies, but you don't get to the Holy of Holies until you've passed the burnt offering. <laughs> you got to pass that big altar there, and you got to deal with your sin before you enter into the holy place or the holy of holies. And uh, a lot of other churches do a little, they'll probably do a confession early in the, in the service so that we can ask for forgiveness, we can deal with our sin before we enter into worship. But to be in God's presence, we have to deal with the sin in our lives. And how do we do that? You all are saying, well, I didn't even bring a cow today. Nobody told me I was supposed to bring a cow today. I didn't even bring any grain. Well, we're going to talk about how that is dealt with. Um, well, basically, let's just talk about it, and then we'll move on to the other two, the other two offerings. So, all of these sacrifices were taking place daily. Burnt offering every day. People coming and, and giving their, their offerings every day. The priests were busy because there's a lot of stuff to deal with. The, the sin of individuals, the sin of the community, and, and a lot of work to, for the priests to stay pure and for, for this to happen so that the priests could be pure, so that the community could be pure, so that they could be priests and a holy nation for the rest of the nation, so that contact with God could be restored, and on a regular basis. Um, Jesus comes, and I know the tabernacle, the tabern this was happening for thousands of years, right? Jesus comes, he enters the, the, the tabernacle, but in Jerusalem, Jesus is crucified and killed. And Hebrews tells us that, you know, the blood of bulls and goats was okay for covering over sin. But it never really washed it away. Because really somebody had to die. You remember Isaac was going to be killed? And God graciously sent a ram to be killed in his place. But it's not really the same, right? You're going to trade me a ram for my son? I'm going to keep Isaac, my son. Um, rather than, and that penalty was never fully paid by these offerings, but it was covered. It was dealt with in this very moving, meaningful ceremony with a lot of blood. But Jesus actually came and completely paid for <coughs> the sins that we had. So Hebrews. Um, talks, Hebrews 9 and 10 
talks about how this, this was dealt with by Jesus, that he was the perfect priest and the perfect um, sacrifice. Let's read Hebrews 10, 19. Um, Let's back up a little bit to, to uh, let's back up a little bit here. Um, 9.11, Hebrews 9, chapter 11. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that great, more perfect tabernacle. So what was happening in Hebrews is these were Jews who had become Christians but they were tempted to just go back to, to the Jewish because there was all this beauty and, and, and they felt forgiven when they did all these sacrifices and, and all this was happening. And, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, don't go back there because we have something better. It's not wiping away all of that. It's fulfilling all of that. It's what all of that was about all along is what he's saying. And so why would you go back to the old way rather than the way that it's been fulfilled. So I want you to get the distinction that it's a fulfillment of all that happened there. We tend to think, oh, that was, that's old news. That doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. It's not irrelevant. This is how we understand what happened. This is how they understood. They're like, oh, you mean all that killing in the, te in the temple was about Jesus? They could understand it because they knew what sacrifice was. So Hebrews 9.11. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands. It is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of young cow would cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. Um, verse 18. That is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the peoples, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law, and all the people using hyssop branches and the scarlet wool. Then he said, this blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood on the tabernacle and everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That is why the heaven, the tabernacle, and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. 
He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God himself on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come away again not to deal with our sin, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly awaiting him. And you can read on how, about how, the, uh, how Christ fulfills those sacrifices. And so we have, you know this is an old synagogue, formerly a synagogue, and up here was the holy, what they call the ark, the place where the Torah scrolls were kept. It's the place like, it wasn't a temple, but it was a place like the temple in the sense that that was the most holy place. We have the, the curtains divided apart so that we can enter, but how can we enter? It's because of the cross that allows us to enter into that place, that allows us to be forgiven. Here's the thing. People think forgiveness is cheap. It's not cheap. It's not cheap at all. I remember somebody telling me one time, I said, he's talked about how he got saved. Give me all coca. This is in Swahili. We're having a discussion. He said, I said, what did you get saved from? He said, oh, well, I never really did much you know, bad, but I just thought it was a good idea to get saved. I said, so... Jesus had to be flogged and ripped apart and bleed all over and be nailed to a cross for your sort of never did much too bad? Really? This was serious. And when the person entered into the tabernacle and took that animal that they had had and, and confessed all their sins, they realized it was serious because the next thing was to cut the throat of that animal, and no, that should be me. And watch that blood flow, and no, it should be me. But it's not me. By God's grace, I, he let me give this animal instead. But it wasn't enough. It had to be somebody die for my sins. And it had to be somebody who hadn't sinned, and only Jesus could do that. And he chose to sacrifice himself, to offer himself as a sacrifice to cleanse us from all of that. And that's one of the things we celebrate when we have the Eucharisteo, which is to thank God, communion together, when we remember what God's done. So let me move on to the other two sacrifices. And these two sacrifices, when they were done together, they were usually done after after I've dealt with my sin, then I can move on to some other kinds of things. After you've dealt with your sin, you can move on into other things. And you may be here today and you're saying, I don't know if I'm forgiven or not. Because I don't know if, if I've really been cleansed. And I don't know if I've really put my hands on that, on that animal and seen the blood. I don't know if I've really accepted Jesus' sacrifice for my sins. I... I still feel guilty. 
I still feel shame. I still feel I'm not sure if I'm really okay with God. You might be hearing you haven't, you're not sure if you, uh, if you're okay with God, if you've done that. But Jesus offered himself so that you can enter into God's presence. You can be forgiven, truly forgiven. Not just because you say, this is what I did, sorry. But this is what I did, and Jesus took all of that. Died for me, and I accept his death in my place. I, not because I do better, not because I can be good enough, but because he died in my place. That's why you can be forgiven. Washed, purified, clean. The distance put back together. The death taken away and received life from Jesus. Because he did all that, we can enter in to God's presence. We can be given eternal life instead of death. We can be truly forgiven and our guilt washed away. Truly washed away, not just mental gymnastics to make me think I feel better, but taken away, paid for. My debt paid for by Jesus. Once we've gone there, then there are some thanks sacrifices that they did. Two more sacrifices. One was grain. This was just everyday stuff. This is what they did most of the time was raise grain. They took some of that and they brought it and they gave it to God. And they said, hey, this is what I, I want to give thanks because you blessed my crop. It didn't have to rain. It didn't have to grow, but somehow it grew, and I'm so thankful that you gave me a crop that I'm going to bring back to you some of what you give me. It was thanks. It was also a commitment. I'm going to follow your law. This is grain I'm committing to say that I'm following your law. Um, it also it symbolized dedication of, of life and work to God. In your bulletin, I have Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, and let me just read that. It says, in view of God's mercy, in, in uh, NIV, in NLT, it says, and so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. All he's done for you, all of his mercy, the fact that he has already sacrificed himself, the fact that he's given you grain and stuff to, to live off of, because of all he's done for you, give your bodies to God. It says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. So that the picture there is taking your body and throwing it on the altar. But he says, instead of cutting your throat and laying on the altar like would be reasonable, um, live your whole life as a dedication to God. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That we're going to talk more about holiness and how we can be different from the world. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So as a way of giving thanks to God, we give him our whole bodies, our whole lives, and we, we give uh, some of what we get. Now, if you didn't raise any grain, if you just got paid a paycheck, then it's okay to give out of your paycheck. It's okay to write a check. 
Um, and that's what we do when we have an offering. We give it. And it's also um, the way that the priests ate. Um, they, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, it was normal for the priests to eat from the altar. So some of that grain went on the altar. Some of it went for them to have some bread. Some of the meat got burned up, except for the burnt offering. Most of the other ones, part of, the, part of it was burned up, and part of it they ate. It was the way that the, they paid for, the, for the, the priests to eat so that they could continue to do the, this ritual to, to uh, have worship happening with God. Um, and then the shalom or peace offering. This is a place where they were um, made right with God. It's a voluntary act of worship. It's a thanksgiving. It also unlike the other was, included a communal meal. So some of, the, some of the food went to the priests, and some of it they ate together. It could be grain, probably some grain or drink was part of it. Also, some animals could be part of it. So this, if you might think about Thanksgiving Day, we all sit around a big table. I guess I don't know if we've given some of it to the priests or not, but uh, sit around a big table, and we, um, we celebrate how, what God's given to us. When we have communion, now, the New Testament church had communion along with dinner. Um, and they had a celebration of giving some to God and, and thanking God and worshiping him for all that he had done. So these are the five offerings that are talked about in Leviticus 1-7. to I hope you read it. I hope you, you pay attention to the detail that they went to to make sure that they did it right so that they could be accepted by God and so that they could give thanks to God. And it was a very five senses participatory worship with God. Um, one of the cool things about communion is it's five senses participatory worship with God. Um, so I want to show us a video that kind of summarizes some of this before we move to communion. And the worship team can come up while that's, while that's playing. Six minute video. <laughs> 